So last week, um, I covered all of chapter eight and we've been kind of slow going in this, in this letter because it is, there is so much in it. And some of the chapters for a letter are like super long in terms of the verse count. Um, we are not going to get through all of nine cause we're super late already, but I do want to remind you guys that, uh, eight and nine are also just like, when you listen to teachings on them, they're often lumped together. So I titled it spiritual entitlement and I'm not a good titles guy, but, uh, and I have my wife or my daughter goes, uh, you've called something else speech, spiritual entitlement in the past. I go, I know, but it's not copyrighted. It's okay. Um, I can double up on a title. It's not from this book. But spiritual entitlement, there are so many entitlements in this country that I think we understand. I mean, the definition is just having a right to something. But we call political things entitlements, like Social Security is an entitlement. And if you pay in, you get it, or whatever the case is anymore. Who knows? Um, it is spiritually speaking that we're talking in the church of the entitlements that Paul should be entitled to as a founder of this church. Now, he is not currently, when he wrote this letter, he is not at the church. He is answering questions in this part of, of the letter that this church leadership has asked him about. And so he's talking to them about so many things. There, if you've listened to any of these uh, studies, it goes so, there's so many things that he had to straighten out in this church. But now we're getting into this uh, question of, you know, Christian living and like, hey, what is this okay? Is this okay? And so Paul's just kind of rapid firing and, and telling these people, hey, this is what God would have you do. This is what God would have the church do. And so living in the land of entitlements, we, we resonate with that. Like we're entitled to this and we're entitled to that. And it's my right to have this. It's my right for the, whatever the, that is in your mind, entitled people. And I'm not calling any, there's no one person I'm calling entitled. I'm saying when a person is entitled, they don't often think of others first. They often think of my needs, what am I going to get, how am I going to be taken care of? And so that is the context of the letter of what is Paul, who's writing this, who's the founding pastor, what is he truly entitled to? Talking about Christian freedom. Talking about in the last chapter, I want to read the last verse of chapter 8. He said, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again. Translation, I will be a vegetarian, even though it's fine for me to eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, that is the attitude of a mature believer. A mature believer doesn't say, you know, I'm sorry that you're weak and you can't handle that a lot of us smoke after church outside. I'm sorry that you can't. We're entitled. We're allowed to legally. There's no, there's no, in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, thou shalt not smoke. That's nowhere in the letter, so we get to smoke. No, we're talking about things that might make you spiritually stumble. If a, if a Christian thinks that this, whatever this thing is, whatever, uh, a, 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 in this context, it was meat, eating meat in a temple restaurant that was sacrificed to idols. If a Christian is coming to this church and feels it is sinful to eat that and his conscience is violated if he if he were to go into the restaurant eating it and then he walks in and all the elders are eating it and there's Zeus with the devil horns behind him and they're like this meat is the best almost as good as Jim's brisket which you'll have in a few minutes that is going to stumble that person. 
that person can be like, oh, I guess I can violate my conscience. We're not talking about, David Guzik tells a story of somebody coming up to him and saying, I used to go to this uh, Presbyterian church and brother, brother Guzik, you're stumbling me by not wearing a robe at Calvary Chapel. Trust me, if you know anything about Calvary Chapels, we're the most informal church of many, many, many locations, if you will. There's lots of Calvary Chapels in the world. You're not going to see, generally speaking, a Calvary Chapel pastor in a robe. I'm not saying there won't be one somewhere in another country, maybe. But if you look at Pastor Chuck, he clearly shopped at Tommy Bahama. Clearly. Now, he did wear a lot of suits. But a lot of Bible studies, if you watch old Pastor Chuck stuff, um, he's got a Tommy Bahama Hawaiian shirt on. So having a right to something is one thing. Having a right to stumble, you do not have. And that's what Paul was trying to say. So a lot of these, these churchgoers were like, well, what is this? why do we even have to listen to this guy? He's old and he's gone. He's not even here. Why do we have to? So Paul starts off the letter in verses 1 and 2, and he says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord, you church? This is not a work that I helped start. If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The Corinthian church was not only a huge labor of love for Paul, but it was a place he stayed for 18 months-ish, give or take. Some people say even longer than that. For a guy who moved in the early church from church to church and went on four missionary journeys, that was a long stop. And so he's writing this letter to correct so much, but he's also trying to get the ignorant to know, hey, just because you're ignorant doesn't mean you need to stay there. And I would say that about America. Just because you're ignorant, or, uh, ignorant about something, it's not an excuse. Oh, I didn't know that we weren't allowed to go 150 on I-10 because I can't read. And I don't know what that white sign says. It says 75. It's not a good excuse. Even though I see on YouTube, people are doing it. You will at some point in time get caught. But what he's saying is, if I'm not apostle to you guys, who am I one to? Have I not seen the Lord? Jesus appeared to, to Paul and compelled him to preach the gospel. And so Paul is just in a qualification all his own. Paul is an apostle. Paul is a missionary. Paul is a pastor, teacher, writer, everything. There's very few Pauls that have ever been in this life, in, in, in human history. So he says um, in verse 3, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we, he's talking mostly about apostles, but he's specifically talking all about him and Barnabas who was there. Um, do we not have, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? It means Peter. Those guys had wives. They were under the support of the churches that they worked at. So he says, this is my argument to you guys. Do I not have the right as somebody who started this church, as somebody who labored and did everything, and while I was there, supported myself financially? Do I not have the right, though? Even though I did, even though I had a side hustle of selling tents and making as a leather worker, even though I did that, some of you guys don't even know why I did that. Some of you guys don't know that I did that because some of these people came to the church after the fact, after Paul was gone. So am I qualified? Did I not start the church? I've seen Jesus. I'm an actual apostle, an actual sent one from Christ. 
do I not have the rights? Do I not have the right to be supported uh, like the apostles have them and a wife, financially under the support of the church? Or do Barnabas and I, verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? So when you have people who are um, arguers and want to argue about everything and you have a, a discussion about this, this was Bible college every single night over ping pong. It, it ended up being scar pong because once somebody would be like, well, you're not a Calvinist, bam, you know, it hit you as hard as they could. And you just like have these red welts all over because of the wonderful fellowship of arguing about things that don't matter, which is what Bible college is half of, uh, in my experience in the 90s anyway. We had no internet. We had no phones. So what are we going to do? Just argue. So when you think about people who want to argue, want to be right, wait until you can even stop half a second so they can jam their opinion in there, you're not dealing with, generally speaking, soft hearts. You're not dealing with hearts that are ready to take in this information. What is this really about? What is chapter 9 really about? It's about Paul saying, some of you guys don't think that I have the rights that I have, and because I haven't exercised them, you think that I am nothing. How many of you guys think that when somebody tells you on the phone that something that they're going to send you is free of charge? How many of, it, how many of you guys believe that? Almost nobody. When something is free, hey, this Saturday we're going to have free something, whatever it is, free car washes, free burgers, free whatever. Don't you think there's something else they're going to ask you for at the end? There's always another motive. People rarely do things for free. But because Paul wasn't charging and others were in their town and in their church, they're like, well, obviously, whatever you did, because you don't ask us for anything, there's a, there's a cheapness to it or something, or there's, a, there's an illegitimacy to it. And he's saying the opposite is true. I love this church. I love my call. And therefore, I would never muddy it by trying to fundraise you, by trying to appeal to you and say, I need, I need your money. Paul, like, I, I got to start. I mean, if anybody could say it and be justified in saying it, that would have been Paul. Maybe the one guy of all the churches he started and all of the travels and all of the things, maybe the one guy or first place guy who should get your financial support in the first century who was the one guy who didn't take it from the church. So he says, you know, is it, hey, is it, is it just me and Barnabas, the only ones that get nothing? Whoever goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Now, this is sheep's milk, so it's not so good, if you've ever had that before. But at the time, they didn't have a fries next door with delicious oat milk or whole milk or whatever. But you get the point. The, the, whatever, you're, whatever you grow up on, that's the sustenance of your time. And he's saying none of these trades don't get something compensation-wise. And do I say these things as a mere man, or does the law say, the same also. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Obviously not. I don't know why there's confusion with this, this verse, but there is. If you, if you Google some of the uh, contested verses, this is one where people go, this is a 
bad argument from Paul. That's what people say. And I have nothing to hide scripturally. The Bible doesn't have, you don't have to help God out. Um, you don't have to ever have to be like, well, God needs my help. So there's a lot of people really messing with his name. So if I don't get involved, he's going to be, there's going to be less Christians. No, he's using it as an analogy. He's using it as, as if you have a huge animal, which in our day would be a machine. And so it's machines don't machines need maintenance. So they need somebody that's compensated to maintain them. And in their day, they had somebody that would maintain animals and feed animals. And they're saying, don't put a muzzle on the thing. Let the thing work and eat. When it eats, it'll have more energy. It'll have more yield. It's just as simple as it gets. I mean, that's just the way it is in our, in our day. Um, machines have taken over a lot of these things, but you get the drift. He goes, it's written in the law of Moses. Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope. Hope that he would get paid, hope that he would be compensated. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. Look at soldiers. Soldiers are provided for. Soldiers get, they don't, they don't have to pay their airfare to go over to Afghanistan. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? Uh, farmers, they eat from their own field. Shepherds eat from their own flock. It's a normal thing. He who works expects a share. Most people go out and they say, well, I need a job. And what do they not have to tell you? That there is pay. Sometimes the question is, what is the pay? But you know when you walk into a Home Depot or a Lowe's, hey, I saw the, the part-time job. You're not working there for free. I mean, if you want to work for shovels and stuff, that might be a weird deal. But if you want to be like, hey, I, I just need blocks. I'll work 10 hours a week, but I need like a pallet of blocks every month. That's weird. Probably not going to happen, but maybe 100 years ago. There's some kind of compensation. You deserve it. Whoever is in this position, whatever the position is, truck driver, teacher, whatever, there's compensation. Paul's the only one in this church not getting any. Paul's the only one that started it. Paul is the one who cares about it the most, and he's not even there. Paul cared more about his churches that he planted than any of these charlatan hirelings that are here. There's tons of them, and, and we get into that in a second. But it's God's word, not, not Paul's word. He's saying, hey, this is the Old Testament text. And he gets into more of them. He says, uh, if we have, have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? In other words, we know that you're paying the guys that are in that church. We know that you're compensating them. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, this entitlement, and it is one, make no mistake, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul is one of those guys, and I don't want to get into like, there's pastors in this country that make $10 million. There's pastors that make $5 million. I used to work for a pastor who, uh, I don't know, 25 years back, he wasn't making that. But when he was fired from his church, it was a big hoopla in Chicago. He was making a million dollars a year salary. Now, some people, when they hear that, never want to go to a church again. They're like, what? what? How in the world? I don't know anything about it. I, I was long gone. Plus me as the junior high uh, pastor intern, they really didn't consult me on his pay, believe it or not. Um, but this is a guy who was a very famous teacher and a fantastic teacher. God really, really gifted this guy. But 
that's too much. I'm just saying it out loud. That's too much. And there was, there was books and all the rest of it. And you guys know some of the big names in this country. It stumbles people to hear that, period. People who might go to your church because you're so famous and you're such a big deal in that town, everybody knew. He was on the radio. Every, I mean, when radio was more of a thing than it is today, they, they were probably on TV 15 years back. I don't know. But there was a big budget for that uh, radio ministry and him specifically. And it stumbles people. I know this because I used to work there and I know people who used to work there. I know elders that used to be elders and they, they ran once they found that out. It's a stumbling block. And Paul's like, I'm the opposite. I am as entitled as that guy to a paycheck. And I don't take it for one reason. Because everybody else in your town, and I'm talking about Corinth, which is modern day Greece, everybody in your town, the priests that, that sacrificed the meat at the temple restaurants and the temple specifically, they rip people off. It's a known thing if you read about Corinthian uh, late 40s, uh, first century, what was going on in that town because it was such a hub. Uh, it, was, it was one of those towns, like a port city, that was just booming with business and booming with people and merchants and even people that would come in. They would literally like portage their boats four miles over Corinthian, like you'd have to go through Corinth um, because of how, how brutal the seas were and it was a quicker way to get a ship around. So you had so much to what we would call tourism. People were being ripped off and everybody knew that. Oh, the priests they take from people. Oh, the some of the pastors, some of the teachers in the churches in this town. Um, John Corson says, we're quote, ripping the, the, the church off, it was his words. And so he's like, look, do I not have the right? If there's partakers in your town, are we not even more? Because we started the church and we continue to support you. We continue to write to you, writing, uh, write the teachings of, of Christ to you. Nevertheless, we have not used this right. But endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? That happened in their day and it happened in the days of Israel in the priesthood. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And in America, before the, before the, the I don't know when this happened, but um, the 40s, 50s, 60s, a lot of pastors lived on site in the parsonage. That house next door is a parsonage. I talked to the pastor. We bought this building in 2016, and I looked him up because he was like 85 years old, and we talked for a little while. It was wonderful to talk to him. And he's like, oh yeah, that was my house. I raised my family in that house in the, in the 50s. And um, I met a relative of his that lives around here and she's like yeah I went to the school there was a little Lutheran school there and stuff so and she brought actual uh, pictures and she brought like a yearbook from like the late 70s so a lot of pastors the church I grew up in in Chicago the Baptist pastor um, he, my best friends were his were his kids they lived on site they lived in the church provided a small salary and this house for him to live in they know this everybody in this church would have known this even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel because it's a job for some. It's a trade for some. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than, than anyone should make my boasting void. What Paul is saying is, I'm not boasting in Christ, or I'm not boasting in, in something that I've done. I'm boasting in
preaching in Christ, and Christ has compelled me to preach, and I do it because of the, the compulsion to do it. I don't do it for cash. God has, a, has given me the ability to support myself. Were there churches that supported Paul? Sure. And that was, that was a God thing. But it wasn't because he was asking for it and candidating for it and putting the thermometers up there. Hey, you know, next missionary journey, when it gets to the top, we can get shove off. You know, I don't know what I'm doing all week until you guys can hit the top of the thermometer. I've seen thermometers all over this country over the past 30 years. I don't understand it. It's the thermometer deal. You'd think maybe like the whack-a-mole thing or like give people something fun to hit while they're going to put money in your deal. Like the little, uh, the little things that show this pizza or Chuck E. Cheese. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach. There was a couple of guys in, uh, in the Old Testament and a guy like Paul. Jonah was one. Jonah had a very specific message given to him. You need to go to Nineveh and you need to preach that I'm going to destroy if there's no repentance. Mm, nah. How'd that go over well for him? It was the worst thing ever for Jonah. It was so bad, Jonah was literally scared to death by being in the belly of an enormous fish and spit up. And that's what got Jonah to be like, okay, I think I should go do what God asked me to do. Paul was like... I've been prosecuting the church and allowing some to come to death because I thought I was in the right and Jesus straightened me out. Therefore, I'm going to do this until I die. That was Paul's life. So he didn't preach for any other reason but for the compulsion. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. And Paul, uh, Paul's reward was probably... Those that, that see Paul's reward one day in heaven are probably going to be pretty blown away because Paul was the real deal. But... If against my will, I have been entrusted with stewardship, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. And that's the theme verse of this entire letter uh, of, of like... Paul is, is trying to straighten them out. There's a lot of messed up people in this church. There's a lot of bad sin going on uh, everywhere you can think of, from sexuality to um, thinking that uh, Apollos or Peter or Paul are, like, on par with Christ. Like, oh, we listen to Paul's teachings, and Paul's our guy. Oh, we listen to Cephas, Peter. Uh, that's our guy. You, and Apollos is kind of a little different, and he says a little bit different stuff. And so we're Apollosites. That's our new church name. And he's like, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. Christ is what matters. And so after he cleared that up, he's saying, guys, what's my reward? My reward is that I'm not disqualified lest any one person go, I heard Paul's doing it for the money. I heard after all these years that finally they took up a collection and they sent it to Paul and he wrote back and goes, thanks. Is this all you got? I mean, people make up rumors. People, people will say all sorts of stuff, but if there's nothing, if there's no truth to it, and if these leaders were real leaders, they'd be like, we've never given this guy a dime. But I want to go back to the ignorance thing. Just because you don't know, as a Corinthian churchgoer, just because you don't know about Paul, you didn't see him in the flesh, you didn't know about the history of the church. When you walk into a church, you don't know the history of a church. If you, you walk into a, I grew up in a, in a church that was uh, planted in like the 
20s or the 30s in, in Chicago land. I didn't know any of the history of it. And then I walked upstairs to the library and I saw these pictures of these old pastors. This guy was here from 20 to 30. This guy was here. You know, you, you see the history, but you don't know like much. And I don't know that in the 90s we knew like the really early goings on, like the church almost split or the church did split. It split a couple of times in its day. Uh, once when I was there, but once way before and started another church nearby. Um, and church splits are brutal. Sometimes what comes out of them, though, is a better deal because now you have two churches and the people who couldn't get along about this theological point are now really, really settled in their conscience and not violating their conscience anymore because of what they thought. And now, hey, two churches better than one if they're healthy. But Paul is is not trying to pull a got you on these people. He's not trying to be like, hey, like there's an undercurrent of what I'm saying and then we need your money. We need your money. He's not saying that. He's saying if anybody deserves it, it's us. And here's why. The Bible commands it. Every one of you guys goes to a job and you expect compensation. And that's my full-time gig. So I deserve it. I would never take it. That's what he's saying. I would never take it. And so I want to um, I want to read something. Uh, a couple of closing thoughts, but a cool a cool kind of like thought that occurred to me as I as I read this because we're only halfway through this chapter. So this is sort of part one. But the passage is about giving up our actual rights so we don't muddy the waters for somebody who might be coming to Christ. That if you sit down with somebody and they go, hey, like, what do you think about freedom in Christ? What does that mean to you? And you you, you say what you think it means. Uh, well, I think it means this and this and this. And I think we can do, uh, we can be completely free in Christ to do X, Y, and Z. Well, whatever that is. And I don't know what that is to you. I don't know what you really think about that. But if someone comes into the church, and let's just say for argument's sake that some of you guys were meeting in here on a Wednesday night and playing poker. It's happened before, unfortunately, in churches. Bingo's not that far away, I don't think, um, if there's money involved. But for I know people that play poker. I don't care. It doesn't stumble me that they play poker. I don't care at all. Now, when they're mortgaging their house, I do care about that. When they when they're when they when the bookie is calling up to find out where they can meet them to break their pinkies, I have a problem with that as well. But it's like if they're in my church, um, and I would care if it was somebody at another Christian church. Like I don't want somebody to get. Because gambling is very, very, very big. You guys know today is the first day of the NFL. Sports gambling has been legalized for, I think, two years. It is horrible how much. I mean, people basically bet on at the end of the play, like where the guy threw the football, does it land on a line or on grass? 50 bucks. Let's go right now. Crazy, right? I, I remember sitting at a Cubs game in Wrigley Field in the 80s, and these drunks next to me were, were literally pooling cash next to me. And they're all like in their 30s. And I'm probably like, I don't know, eight-ish, nine-ish. And they're all like, I'm like, my dad's like, what are you guys betting on? They're like, at the end of the inning, the pitcher throws the ball for the next pitcher. Because if the ball is damaged by being hit, they'll throw a new ball in. But if it was just like a ground ball and it's still in play, they throw the ball onto the pitcher's mound. Well, the pitcher's mound is a little tiny hill. And sometimes they throw it to where it rolls back onto the grass. And they were betting on that in like 1986. 
So sports gambling is not anything new. I bet you they were gambling in the Coliseum, truthfully. How long do you think it's going to take for this guy to get ripped apart by the tiger? I don't know. 10 seconds. All right, I got 11. Seriously, I believe people have been doing this for a long time. But as it pertains to gambling, at the end of these commercials of, hey, download the app and, and we'll give you $100 after your first $100 bet. And right under at the end of it is like the small print. If you have a huge gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLING. It's like, I didn't even see that. I didn't even read it. What? Like, you have to do that clearly. You're compelled to do it legally. But that's essentially what we're talking about is do you have the right to do it? Sure. If somebody comes into your church and they're really like, man, I'm a huge, huge gambling. Like, I came out of Gamblers Anonymous. Guys, it's a bigger deal than you think. This is a huge deal. It's very quiet because it's done on phones now. And it's done with credit cards and, and digital money now. But it's not like you have to go to off-track betting or some place in Midtown and place a bet. You do it on your phone now. It's horrible. But if, if we wouldn't be willing to stop that Wednesday night poker night, no, we're not going to. You're a weak Christian. Maybe you're not even a Christian. Get real. Guys, we got something majorly wrong with our hearts, right? Like, if we wouldn't stop for that person who goes, I just came out. I was, I was looking for the Wednesday night Calvary Bible study everybody talked about. Where's the cards, I guess? Um, well, there, there's like two or three old ladies praying down there. You can go join them. But the sanctuaries, we're making money. We're making money right now for the church with, with poker night. I've seen people do it. I saw a church 15 years ago when, when the church started going universalist and progressive Christianity. The youth pastor started brewing IPAs in the church and selling beer. They started their own beer deal. Uh, this is a church in Tucson that did that. And this guy left and he goes, I think you guys are really in the wrong. He's like, we're sorry to see you leave. That guy was a huge tither to the church. So they had to really up their, their, their beer company or whatever, whatever was going on with that. But... He's saying these are these are like cultural, like like gray areas, really dangerous stuff. He's saying, what's my reward as as the guy who started this church, as the guy who loves you guys more than anybody loves you, and even the charlatan hirelings that are teaching for money in your church? What's my reward? My reward is when I present the gospel to you or to anybody else or to any church that reads this letter. Is it possible Paul knew this letter would probably get into more hands on the Corinthians? I think possibly. I may present the gospel without charge. The biggest problem in the world is if somebody has to pay to get saved. And I don't mean like, hey, come and get, we're selling, you know, whatever the Catholic church did in the, back in the day, like you're absolved for this much money or whatever, or go do this and you're, you're absolved. If we're selling whatever, in order for people to be like, in order to be in good graces, you have to buy these things from the church. I'm terrified. I mean, that, that's terrifying to me as a pastor of a church. I may present the gospel without charge that I may not abuse my authority. And make no mistake, Paul had a ton of authority. He had more authority than any of these people that were in this church. But when the people read the church, when the muddies of Christianity or the waters are muddied of Christianity throughout the messed up ages of the days between this and right now, you can read a word and you can read a guy and you can go, here's a guy who didn't do that. This is the guy we need to listen to because he has the words of Christ and he has the uh, audacity to do it for free. 
He like even though he should have been supported, they should have. This church, I don't believe they were poor. I believe this church was probably more on the wealthy side because of the town they lived in. But they should have supported more church planting. They didn't, and Paul was like, "I'm not writing this to say it. I'm just writing you. I'm writing you to say we all have rights. If the guys in your church have a right, certainly Barnabas and I have more of a right, and I'm not going to take it, even if you send it. I'm not. I'm not going to abuse my authority." So um, I want to read a cool quote to close um, before we do, uh, uh, have awesome fellowship and awesome food. Uh, David Lowry, who wrote an awesome commentary, great, great commentary, um, he says about this, these uh, 18 verses, Paul had shunned material recompense, but he was not without a reward or return for his labor. He had the joy of reaping um, that widened the harvest, he would gladly give up certain rights, uh, among them the right to material support, in order to enjoy both the integrity of his boast about his ministry and the results of his ministry. You can't tarnish him. You can't, wherever, money confuses so many things. Wherever you see something, if you get a little invite to somebody's house and you're like, oh, what's this about? And they're like, oh, hey, it's just a bunch of us going to get together for a little while, talk about, you know, just whatever. And then all of a sudden, some guy pulls you in a room and he's like, hey, uh, so here's the deal. Um, if you get somebody and they get somebody and they get somebody, um, you're going to make a million dollars a year. But first, you need to give me a little money, write me a little check, and you get into you get into my little business. Okay, I thought I was being invited over for food, folks, and fun to quote McDonald's of the '80s. Nope. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, like we're all friends here, but you know, there's another there's another thing going on here. Guys, your attitude, you're you're hurt. You'll probably know, never go to another one of those things. Because you thought you were coming to fellowship, and a lot of these things are, quote, Christian businesses. I'm not saying that there aren't some legit ones in there, but there's a lot that aren't. Um, I've been sold many of them in my day and, and, and failed to see it until after I wrote a check. Um, but you learn. But all, all this to say, Paul had... It was worth more to Paul to preach the gospel, knowing that he might struggle financially and he might struggle in a few other areas, knowing that nobody could say it was about cash, power, compensation, none of that. So we're, we're over, uh, way over time here, so let me, let me pray for us. Lord, uh, as we come to uh, the, the fellowship and the potluck, we thank you for providing for us. We thank you for, um, God, the food that you allow us uh, to eat. Um, God, you give us the ability to work. You give us the ability to, uh, to compensate uh, for our families and to, to go out and to work. You give us that ability to do that. And uh, Lord, even when we're struggling, you find ways. Um, so we thank you for being our provider, even though sometimes the provider is a corporation. We know that it's you. We know that all compensation is from you, and we know that you love us, and you take care of us, and you and you think uh, pure and beautiful thoughts towards us. God, help us in this life to navigate through all the mess, to navigate through the distraction. Um, God, to deepen our walk with you, and to, if possible, if need be, to give up certain rights uh, for those that are weak in the faith, but for those that are coming to the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.